Speaking of loud noises, I got a funny story. Okay. So when I was a kid, my dad had, um, he was a hunter and mm-hmm. like shotguns and stuff. And the house that we were in, both bathrooms in the house were next to each other, but there was a wall in between them, but they were facing opposite sides of each other. Mm-hmm. So apparently, I slept through the whole thing, by the way. <laughs> apparently, my father woke up to sleepwalk, grabbed a shotgun, loaded it, went to the toilet, sat on the toilet, was facing the bathroom door, and shot the door <laughs> thinking he was hunting a deer. <laughs> It woke up the entire house, except for me, and the kicker was, my sister was taking a dump in the opposite bathroom. Oh, no. So she was sitting there to take a dump, and she heard a shotgun blast from three feet away. So he was just helping her out. I that guess made so. me shit is, myself. That bathroom was the bathroom to my parents' bedroom. So my dad shot into the room that my mom was sleeping. Oh, no. And nothing happened. There's just a there was just a giant hole with like buckshot like shooting a, like through the door. Right. I woke up. I didn't know what happened because I slept during the whole thing. You slept I, I was whole probably thing. 15 feet away. Sleeping. Oh God! How? How? I have no idea. Is it? Well, I, I'm assuming we both have hearing damage from years of metal. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> and I must have been like 10 or 10 or 15, 10 or 11 maybe. And I woke up, and the big kicker was I went to the restroom, saw the giant hole in the door. <laughs> I went to my mom and I was like, do we have termites? <laughs> and How old were like, you? Like, oh, 10, 11. I don't remember. It was super young, but my mom was like, no, your fucking father almost killed me. I was like, what the fuck? It was great. <laughs> I'm recording all this, by the way. Sweet. Hello, boils, ghouls, and non-binary fiends. This is the Crypt Keepers. I'm Spooky Bruce. And I'm Horror Ryan. This is a show where we examine the HBO horror anthology series, Tales from the Crypt. Each episode, we take a deep dive into one episode of the TV series and the comic that inspired it. This week, we're taking a look at episode two, All Through the House, based on the story in Vault of Horror, number 35. How you doing? I'm doing well. You're doing you? well? Yeah. You got any funny stories to tell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, a funny story like this is our fourth time attempting to record this episode. Right. Over the uh, past week. Uh, yeah. So last week, we attempted to record three times. Yes. We got through the episode uh, halfway through. Mm-hmm. Didn't like where, like how we didn't, we were, how it was going. It was trash. Yeah. The second time we recorded the whole episode, yes. we were like, okay, that's cool. And then yeah. we watched a movie afterwards after the movie, Bruce looked at me and he's like, do you want to re-record that? I'm like, yeah, I feel <laughs> we need to re-record that and do it better. And then we did it. So that was our second and second a half time. attempt. So we got through the third. We were confident, super as confident. Hell. Like Bruce gave me devil horns as soon as I said the last line of the episode, and we were so excited. Then we listened back, and I, I was, haven't heard it. I, oh well, I listened back to do the editing, right? And I was cutting in and out. Um, you were a potato in space. God damn it! Yeah. So we hopefully have fixed all those problems, and you have strapped me down to my chair and <laughs> duct taped me in, so I am not gesticulating wildly and talking everywhere but my microphone. I think we should take a shot every time I say um or er. <laughs> Everyone with a hammer would be great. So how's the week been? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, we are in the process of. Getting a house. Yeah. It's pretty exciting Congratulations stuff. again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a process, but I think hopefully within the next month, two months, we'll actually be fully moved in, and it's pretty exciting stuff. You're actually near our group of friends. You're not on the other side of town anymore. Right. I'm right. actually moving into the area where there's a whole bunch of more restaurants, and like like 95% of my friends live. So right. I'm pretty excited yeah. for sure. 
What about you? Uh, I'm I'm good. Uh, my I was introduced to a new hobby this week, which is uh, my my buddy uh, hung out with him for the first time in like a year and a half because of you know the ongoing pandemic, and he he introduced me to a game called Gaslands, okay. which is a miniatures car combat kind of Mad Max inspired type thing, right. and it uses DIY modified Hot Wheels. Ooh, that's cool. So I was like, it blew my mind. <laughs> and immediately, like, Saturday morning, went out and got some Hot Wheels and just started modifying them. That's like, cool. watching tons of videos about it. I found this whole process of, like, sanding down the car, beating it up, making it look ugly. Like, something you'd see in Mad Max. Right. Painting them. Super relaxing. That's cool. Yeah. yeah my so relaxing thing is um, Tetris. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I if I'm like super stressed, I'll sit there and play Tetris yeah. for hours, and it just puts me in a zone. I had to make rad. a stressful phone call uh, earlier this week, and I sat there while I was on hold, just sanding a car, and it was so calming. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. So nice. Um, one thing I did want to kind of bring up into the show was you and me watch horror movies and TV shows all the time. Yes. Not just Tales from the Crypt. So. One thing I thought that we would have is like so a movie of the episode. And so we actually watched, we had a Vincent Price night mm-hmm. and we watched two movies, Pit in the Pendulum and The Haunted Palace. Yes. I love Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Amazing. The movie that I suggest that everyone try to watch is The Pit and the Pendulum. Yes, it is our gold star movie for this episode. It is a very Tales from the Crypt like very movie. tales from the crypt. The uh, flow is the mm-hmm. same, and there's the like where the twist is is perfect. And I would say, I think you said it, it was probably the best one of the one of the best last shots in a movie in a horror movie. Definitely, yes. it's so we good. we saw that and we about came out of our chairs. Yes, we cheered <laughs> and we rewound it and watched it again and rewound it and watched it, it again. So good. It was very very good. We don't want to give the way. Right. Don't want right, to give right, the way. But, it um, was hitting the pendulum. Uh, featuring Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. If you watch a movie on our recommendation, definitely have it be that one. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else going on with you? <sighs> Nothing really. Nothing. <laughs> Just trying to survive this fucking heat. Right. Too, I'm way not too built hot. for this. Way too <laughs> Fat hot. Boys, Fat boys boy fall can't over. come. Yeah. Fat boy fall can't come soon enough. Absolutely. So are you ready to dig into this episode? Let's do it. So today we are covering, as we said in the opening, oh, those are the wrong notes. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're covering episode two. Uh, season tell, one, episode so, two. Season one, episode two, All Through the House, directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Mary Ellen Trainer, Larry Drake, and Marshall Bell. On Christmas Eve, an unnamed woman kills her husband with a fire poker to the head in hopes that she can finally be with her lover. When she turns on the radio to listen to Christmas music while she cleans up the crime scene, she hears a radio report that a maniac wearing a Santa costume has escaped a mental asylum. This maniac is responsible for the murders of several women. Sure enough, the maniac finds his way to the woman's home. As she fights to keep him outside, she plots to blame her husband's murder on the maniac. Then, she discovers that her young daughter, believing the maniac to be Santa, is trying to help him get inside. The woman races to stop her, but it's too late. The maniac raises his axe, asking the woman if she's naughty or nice. The episode ends with a woman collapsing, screaming, no, no, over and over. Overall, what did you think of this episode? I loved it. I absolutely loved this. I think I watched it three or four times to prepare for this episode. Yeah, I think I've watched it three yeah. or four times. And it, it was never a, sometimes when you have to watch something over and over again, it becomes a chore. This was never a chore. We discussed in the first episode that Bill Gaines, the creator of Tales from the Crypt, mm-hmm. he was invited on set. Right to view a filming of an episode mm-hmm. this was the episode mm-hmm. and the 
executive director said that afterwards that all other episodes use this template from this episode going forward. Yeah. So every Tales from the Crypt episode was based using the format. templates on this format mm-hmm. from this episode because they had input from the creator, which right. is pretty crazy. Right? right. This is a weird place to start, too, because this is a Christmas episode. And it aired in June, about as far from Christmas as you can get forwards or backwards. Right, right. right. Do you have any idea why they started with this particular story? It's a good story. It is great. It is a great great story. story. But why a Christmas one to open up a show? I don't know, really. Mm -hmm. I think there are more memorable stories from the comics. Mm -hmm. But I feel like on the first episode... The Man Who Was Death, we talked right. about how it was a good story, but it wasn't a Tales from the Crypt story. Right. It was more like one of their crime stories. Right. It wasn't spooky at all. Right. This one, I would say, is when they put the foot on the gas and was like, this is a Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And what you mentioned in your when you were talking about the episode is when the main character screams no over and over mm-hmm. to end the episode. Like we talked about with Pit the Pendulum, right. the final shot, mm-hmm. that was Bill Gaines' idea. And we'll get to this in a moment when we talk about the comic. That scene with her screaming no, no, over and over again is right. not in the comic. It ends with the little girl letting him inside. Right, and it just looks inside. like um, the mom has a shocked look on her face. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But that was definitely Bill Gaines' idea, and his fingerprints are all over this. We know Zemeckis. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, he, he did Back to the Future, one of Spielberg's guys. Uh, do you know anything about Melon, uh, Ellen Trainer, the star of this episode? Well, I actually have, I know you have way more notes than I do, but Mary Ellen Trainer, who plays the wife mm-hmm. in this episode, that's the ex-wife of Robert's Smith. Yes, yes. And I know that she had other roles, like, she, wasn't she basically like the generic mom character she in was the most mom 80s movies? in a ton of stuff in the 80s. She was the mom in The Goonies. Right. She was the mom in Monster Squad. She was the police psychologist in the Lethal Weapon series. Right. right. Which is interesting here because uh, the Goonies, which she was in, and the Lethal Weapon series, which she was in, were directed by Richard Donner, who was one of the producers That's of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to suggest for future episodes that we give an MVP award. <laughs> she's it's her, it's her show, and she's the MVP. She is so good. She she's so amazing good. in this. She is uh, uh, unhinged. Yeah. Right. right. Unhinged. She's uh, almost deranged. Yeah, right. I would say that. Yeah, she's sure. almost arranged. Also, we have Marshall Bell as Joseph, yeah, the you know, husband. Do you know Marshall Bell? I know that he's basically the generic asshole character yes, he, in every 80s movie. Right, he's that guy who you see, you know who he is, you see him, you don't know his name, you're just like, oh, it's that asshole again. Right. Right. Speaking to our interests, he was the coach, the high school coach in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, who the kid, the main character, runs into at the S&M bar and hits on him. <laughs> right? Great. Really gross. He was also um, Starship Troopers. Yes, he was in Starship, Starship Troopers. He was the general, general, I think General Owen, yep. who they went to rescue on that, plan, on, on, on that planet. You know, like you know what I'm talking about. Right. And he, uh, he's, freaked, he's freaking out because his entire uh, unit has been destroyed. Oh. And then he refuses to fight, and he's like, "Just kill me, just kill me." And Michael Michael Ironsides is like, "Okay," and Rico's <laughs> like, "No, no, don't, don't right. kill him." And so, then he ends up getting smashed by one of the aliens they kill, and everyone <laughs>, laughs at him. So basically, in the eighties, early nineties, if there's a character who's self obsessed and an and a asshole, it's probably Mark. It's probably Ryan. him. Like every oh, he was uh, uh he was uh the host of Quato in Total Recall. You know, oh, the, the guy, thing okay. growing on the dude's chest. He was the guy who had it had Quato on his chest. We love you, Marshall Bell. Yeah, we want we love you. You, 
he is he has this this stare and this look and this delivery right. that makes you want to hate him and right. everything he's you're in. wonderful at what you do fuck off you're you're no 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 keep doing what you do <laughs> we love you so much he's still acting the day he has a ton of credits wow. going back to the early 80s hell yeah right? dude uh actually what's weird is we have an Emmy Award winner. Yes. On this episode. Yes. Larry Drake. Larry as Drake. Santa. Yes. The killer. He is at the height of his power. He, he was on LA Law. He played a um, a man with uh, learning disabilities or uh, he had some uh, mental issues. Mm-hmm. And he was he was Dr. Giggles, right? <laughs> he was the uh, he was the villain in the Sam Raimi superhero movie Dark Man. Oh right? yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. I th- he won an Emmy around this time. That's right, so weird. for his performance on L.A. Law. So it's his incredible performance in L.A. Law, but at the same time, he's a killer Santa. He's a killer Santa. He is at the height of his power, right? Of his acting power, right? And he comes into the show. He has had. He has no lines. Oh, he does have one one line, line. right? But he's hamming it up. It's great. He's laughing and giggling the whole time. He's having the time of his life <laughs> in this role. If there's one character that i would like to play in like a reenactment right it would be the same <laughs> it would be the same so yeah fun. he's he's the one having the most fun oh absolutely a- absolutely we have um lindsey whitney berry as carrie i don't know daughter. anything about her well she actually only has three credits okay. in my research yeah this episode uh-huh. she did a made for tv movie murderous visions and this is my favorite uh-huh. the, the, the peak of her stardom she was hoverboard girl number two in Back to the Future 2. Oh, another Zemeckis movie. Yes, right. another Zemeckis. Right. Basically, when Marty tries to hand back the Barbie hoverboard, mm-hmm. this girl is the other girl who doesn't say the line, oh. keep it, I got a pit bull right. now. Right. So basically, she's just standing there. Right. She's the girl's friend. She's the cool girl's friend that has the pit bull. Where was she doing now? Riding the pit bull. I don't know. <laughs> Weird. I have no idea. Basically, she just dropped off the face of the planet. So, But she does a pretty good job in this yeah. episode. But Definitely Mary Ellen Trainer is the MVP. So do you wanna you wanna break it down for us? Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. All right. So the episode starts with a crypt keeper talking in a very disturbing Santa costume, in which it looks like what would you say, like a human mask? Right. Like he has skinned someone's face and is wearing it. Right. But he, he but it's Santa's face. He looks like a methed out Chucky. Right. He's missing teeth. His eyes are bulging. Is this the most disturbing you've seen the Crypt Keeper? Absolutely. It bothered me watching this. Right, right. right. And then the episode starts with Christmas music. Joseph, the husband, is sitting on the table drinking some some alcoholic beverage. Mm -hmm. And he asks his wife for the fire poker. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole bunch of lines written down on my notes because I love it. (laughs) And I'm going to say them in her tone because she does such a great job. Please do. Basically, he's sitting there and he's drinking his alcohol and he's like, give me the fire poker. Where's the fire poker? Do you have it? And she's like, yeah, I have it. And he's like, well, let me have it. Right. Well, at first he says, uh, she's like, what did you say? Right. And he's like, are you dumb? I said, let me have it. In the Marshall Bell way of of being an asshole. Which indicates that there's something going on in this relationship. Like, they really do not like each other. Obviously, she kills him. I mean, there's something about to go through his skull. Right. But there's there's something else here. Like, he's emotionally abusive in some way. Like, he is getting what he deserves. That's the indication here. And so, when he asks for the fire poker, and she's like, you want it? And he says, yeah, let me have it. And she says, Merry Christmas, you son of a bitch. And it's really comedic how she like it. She hits his head, uh-huh. 
with the fire poker, it gets stuck. Right. And then she uses her foot to like lean against the couch to pry it off, and then she falls to the ground. Right. Once it, again, this is when we spoke about how humor and horror are mm-hmm. blended together. You have this really intense moment followed by her in slapstick form trying to pull a poker out of her husband's head. Right, because she doesn't like put it through his head or right. anything like that. She when she hits him, she hits him over the, the top of the head with the bar. Yeah. And then the the kind of the curved hook goes like right between his eyes. Right. And he falls forward and she's not strong enough to pull him back up and pull it out, right? Exactly. And there's almost like a, like a sucking popping noise when it comes out. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And so at this time when she pulls the poker out, her daughter Carrie has woken up and is going downstairs. And she's asking what's going on is Santa here and she tries to say hello to Joseph. Obviously Joseph does not respond. Mm-hmm. He did. And so Elizabeth, I'm going to say Elizabeth, but I really should change it to the wife because in the credits, it says the wife. Right. Online, she's credited as Elizabeth. So if I say Elizabeth, I apologize. Mm-hmm. The wife takes her daughter up to bed and says that Joseph is sleeping. Don't worry about it. And the daughter says, well, I didn't mean to wake him up. And she says, I don't think even Santa can wake up your stepfather. <laughs> <laughs> and so after she it talks. It makes me wonder, like, this is the stepfather. Yes. There's a marriage before yes. this. What happened to that marriage? I don't know. There's right. there's a, a few moments in this episode where, like you were saying, the, the husband's being an asshole mm-hmm. right before he dies. And then this quote where I'm like, what happened? Right. Like, there's, there, you're getting clues, but you're never going to get the right. whole story. So after she tucks Carrie to bed, Carrie says that she's hot. So the wife opens up the window just very slightly and says, one thing I didn't ask for Christmas for you was a cold. Carrie asks, Mom, what did you want for Christmas? And in another great line, she says, I already got it, sweetheart. I already got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I've watched this like three times, and it's so good. She she is so pleased with herself. Absolutely. Right. While simultaneously trying to be a good mother. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. So she goes downstairs, and she calls her lover. Right. And the one thing I wanted to t- she's like holding the last Last will and testament testament, uh, um, of her dead husband Mm -hmm. as she's calling her lover and she and she's saying oh i did it darling you know we can be together but the best thing about it is right before she says that it goes to his voicemail and he in the lover says leave your name number and measurements right so like it's super he's super slimy yes yeah that was a very interesting scene for me because he answers the uh, the voicemail answers or the me- the actually not voicemail it's an answering machine because this is back in the day right right and he says this is Nick the monster I'm probably out partying <laughs> right and she says hello darling I know you told me not to call you which oh. indicates to me either they aren't together or or we're never together right right and this is this is their relationship is all in her head Ooh. or that they had something and they broke up and he's like don't talk to him anymore. Or he was just, she was just one of the string of women that he's been, he's been with. Obviously, he's a womanizer from his voicemail well, message. Leave your mess, um, measurements. Right. right. So it, it, I wonder if they just had a fling and she's developed it into something more or if they've broken up. You're like that research person that when you hear these small lines, you're like, well, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I want to know, I want to know that story. Right. And so I wonder if him breaking up with her and saying, we can't be together because you have a husband. I wonder if that happened and that was the the motivation for this killing. Right. Could have been. But essentially, she leaves the voicemail says, I did it, darling. And she's holding the will of testament of her husband, dead husband. And she, the, she ends the call with, Merry Christmas, darling. She goes back and returns to the living room and she wraps Joseph's head 
in a transparent <laughs> gift wrap with yeah. a red bow on top. And as we wish you a Merry Christmas is playing on the radio. And the wife says, she looks at his corpse and says, and a happy new year. <laughs> so good. I love her. She's great. So she drags the body out the front door. And as they're leaving, the radio switches from Christmas music to a news broadcast mm-hmm. saying that an escaped inmate at the Pleasantville Institute for the Criminally Insane has escaped and has killed four women and he's stolen a Santa costume. And you found an uh, Easter egg in this that I didn't. Yeah. So they say it's in uh, Gaines County. Ah, Bill yeah. Gaines. Bill Gaines, exactly. Yes. Bill Gaines. And as she closes the door, that radio transmission ends, and she drags the body to a well that's right outside mm-hmm. of her house. The indication is that she's going to push him down the well. Right, right. right. So she's about to put Joseph in the well, and he just wakes up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really... She just knocked him out. She didn't kill him. Right, apparently. And so he tries to choke her. So that's a weird thing. We're like, he didn't try to run away. Right. Or he or like, why are you doing out. this? It's immediate. Like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to strangle you. And he has that great, great Marshall Bell hatred in his eyes. Right. At that moment. It's so good. Right. And so as she's being choked by him, she puts her foot on his throat and she's simultaneously trying to reach for an axe. That's in the stump right in your body. Right. It's really close, but she can't actually mm-hmm. get to it. And so she act, he actually passes out from being choked by her boot and he dies. Mm-hmm. So he's dead. As she kind of gets up and recovers from that, she hears a noise in the distance. She goes to investigate and she turns around and Santa's behind right. her. Right. I think when she looks around to try to figure out what the noise was, when, right. one time when it pans over, the axe is missing from the stump. Right. It's just a quick blink and you'll miss it moment. Right. Yeah. And so he has the axe and he's swinging at her and they have a little tussle. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that he pins her against the well. Right. She reaches behind her to grab an icicle that's on the well and she cuts his face. Like, like a Joker, Joker smile. smile. Right. And then she sends him to dick kicks in. <laughs> and this is when we get into the more of the slapstick because there's like, they make bird tweeting noises and his eyes go cross. Yeah, and he makes weird noises when he's falling over. Right. And so after he's grabbing his crotch from the dick kick city invitation, she <laughs> runs inside and she's trying to close the front door. Well, he actually gets to the door with her and mm-hmm. reaches his arm into the door to try to get and inside like, the house. I strangle her, right? Yes. Yeah. He's got his, his hand around her throat. And so she grabs the axe because after she dro- he dropped the axe after being sent mm-hmm. to Dick Kick City. She grabs the axe, goes inside. He tries to choke her through the door. She actually chops at his arm. Right. It doesn't get chopped off. It just gets cut. So he yells and then he pulls his arm away. He's almost like whimpering like a baby. Right. Right. It's, it's kind of a creepy touch. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's super freaked out. Mm-hmm. And so she goes into the living room. And so she's trying to figure out what's going on. She's holding the axe. And out of nowhere, a tire swing goes through the living room glass window. <laughs> Which just seems it it doesn't it's not like he threw a tire through the window with yes. a rope attached on the end. It's actually he swung it. Yes. It's still attached. So you technically still attached. her daughter could have died. <laughs> right. It was way too close to the window. Right. Right. Absolutely. And it so it freaks her out. Responsible parenting on ex- our part. I mean, right. I mean, she's not that great no. as a person. We we figure that out. So he actually goes through that window and starts to choke her. And she use, he's behind her, and she uses the butt end of the axe to hit him in the head mm-hmm. and knock him out. He goes cross-eyed. 
Yes. Right? And there's more of those birds tweeting, and he falls straight <laughs> backwards. He right? falls right back into the snow, mm-hmm. and it makes like an imprint of his body. And he's just sitting, laying there, knocked out. So at this point, Santa is knocked out outside. Mm-hmm. So as this happens, the phone rings. She picks it up, and it's the police. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And so she starts to freak out, and like she's hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. And the police officer is saying... Hey, I don't know if you've heard, but that escaped inmate is uh, sighted in your area. So mm-hmm. we are actually going to have a patrolman go around your neighborhood and go to each house. He should be in your area in the next 20 minutes. The did clock's you know, ticking. Did you notice the time on the clock? I did not. It's like 810. Oh, so okay. it seems way too early in the evening for all this to be happening. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Her husband just got off work. It's Christmas <laughs> right. Eve. Come on, right. man. So... Um, she starts to freak out, but she tells the officer, no, I don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And she's like, oh, oh, I guess I'll just lock the doors. And she because implies she, that she didn't know anything about it. Right, because she was going to say something, but she looks out and sees her husband's body right out there. She's, she's like, putting oh. it together like, I can't have the cops come here because my husband's dead. Mm-hmm. So, womp womp. T- uh, as she hangs up, she looks over at her husband's body, and then she looks in, in, through the window, and she sees Santa knocked out mm-hmm. in the snow. And then she kind of has like an inner monologue with herself as she's holding the axe, right. making her plan, which is she's going to plant the axe in her husband's skull, mm-hmm. blame Santa, and then call the police in order to freak out and say, oh, my God, he killed he, my he, husband. She talks to herself. She's like, yes, officer. Yeah, she's like stroking the axe. Yeah, she's stroking the handle of the axe very phallically. <laughs> How do You can't stroke anything other than that. That's fair. I just put your mind in some weird places. <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> Cut that out. No, no, I'm not cutting that. I'm keeping that in. So we, so I like that moment because it lays out the plan for us. Mm-hmm. The view, and it also shows how deranged she's, she right. is because she's stroking an axe, telling herself the plan. Mm-hmm. So she goes out the front door and she sees her husband's body, and she takes like three whacks. To bury this some bitch in his right. skull. She keeps missing, but hitting other parts of his body. Right, because it, she's squeamish and she's closing her eyes whenever she swings. Mm-hmm. So finally, on the third attempt, they don't show it. That was one thing that we talked about in our previous podcast, where sometimes they don't show the horror, right? The action, and that this is almost a callback to the artist, and we'll get to that when we talk about the comic. How the artist that drew the issue this is based on, how right. he how he did. So the, the only artwork. thing we hear is a thunk thunk, and then his feet pop his up. Feet shoot up. So it tells us that it's buried in his head. Right. And, and she had to do that. She couldn't just hit him with the axe a few times to mutilate his body. She had to bury it in his forehead to right. cover up the fire poker. Wound. Oh, the indention of the fire poker. Right. Which I would you told me that, and I was like, oh shit, that makes total sense. I didn't right. even think about that. Was were his eyes open? I wonder if he was actually dead. He is now. Well, he is now. But like, when she choked him out, if he actually died at that moment, earlier when they were fighting and he was trying to choke her and she put a, a foot on his neck, it, it makes me wonder if he was actually dead at that moment or if this is what killed him. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, he's dead now. He's dead now. He, and she does say Marshall that. Marshall died she? three times in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as she does this, at the same time, she used a umbrella holder. To hold the front door open. Which was really weird. I didn't understand that point. I know why they did it. It was kind of contrived. But earlier she walked outside and just left the, it wasn't a big deal. the door. It wasn't a big deal. This time she had to prop it open. Well, they, I don't know why they did it story-wise, but I know why they did it because the ringing of the bells that's on the door after it shuts mm-hmm. wakes her daughter up. Right. 
So it's kind of like they did it just to get to the next scene. Right. And it, it, it's really weird, too, because all the screaming outside when her mom was fighting the killer didn't wake up the daughter. Her her and the killer fighting over the door didn't wake up her daughter. Her dad blasting a shotgun through the bathroom door didn't wake up the daughter. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Didn't wake me up. You know, the window did not wake up the daughter. Right. <laughs> it was the bells, which makes me think, like... <laughs> Is that contrived, or is there just so much chaos in this house that the she's daughter's used just to used to it? Assault, right? Well, or not assault, but she's used to like domestic violence. So domestic violence noises don't wake her up, right? But bells will. Bells, because she's listening for Santa Claus. Do you think she, way too deep about this? She shit? is tuned out. <laughs> she is tuned out. The fights her parents have for only but the, the joy of the, Santa. The joy of Santa wakes her up. Well, Santa's here. So. Yeah. At the same time, Santa's still knocked out. As that happens. She buries the axe to her husband's head. Carrie upstairs wakes up from the noise of the door slamming. Mm -hmm. And the wife comes inside and she calls the operator. Mm -hmm. And she says, the killer's here. The killer's here. I I knocked him out already, but he's killed my husband. So she's planting the seed of her alibi. Right. And it kind of makes me wonder when this is set, too, because she called the operator. Right. Not 911, which is... You know, was in widespread use by 1989. Right. And so, at the same time, as she's making this phone call, they show Carrie, and Carrie looks out the window that her mom opens slightly and sees the imprint of where Santa was. Mm-hmm. He's now gone. gone. Yeah. And at while that's happening, goes back to the mom, and she's on the phone call, calling the operator saying, don't worry, Santa's knocked out. And she looks and sees... That Santa is gone. Uh huh. Then she looks over at her husband's body, and the axe from his head is gone. Yes. So that's a, that's probably my favorite moment of the episode mm-hmm. is that she's got this brilliant plan. She's got the alibi. Everything's in place. And while she's making the call to the operator, she looks and everything is falling apart. Yes. Yes. And this is when the operator is like, do you have a weapon to protect yourself with? Right. And that when she realizes that Joseph has a gun in his closet. Mm-hmm. She yells, there's a gun in the closet, and she drops the phone. And by the way, she also gave the operator their address. Right. So they know. So, by the way, there's already a cop coming in 20 mm-hmm. minutes, and she's let people know that the killer is there. Mm-hmm. She drops the phone, and she goes to the closet. If she can survive the next few minutes. She's off. She's off. She's got right. this whole thing figured out. Right. And she's going to be with the lover that may, maybe doesn't want her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She gets to the closet, and we can see that the gun is on the shelf on the very top. She's trying to reach for it, right? Mm-hmm. As she's reaching for it, she looks through her window, which, by the way, how many closets have windows? Right. That was weird. This is a tiny window up in the corner Super of the Super tiny closet. window. Yeah. So she looks through the window while she's reaching for the gun, and she sees Santa has a ladder and is climbing the ladder yes. to get yes. to her daughter's room. And she freaks out. She starts to scream. She yells Carrie's name, turns around, grabs the doorknob of the closet, and it pulls out and right. drops. She's locked in the closet. Right. Obviously, Joseph is not a handyman. Right? He's not a live man. <laughs> and so this is a really cool scene as well where the daughter looks through the out the window, sees Santa climbing the window towards her. She's yelling, Santa, Santa, it's you. I knew you'd come. Where's your uh, sack with <laughs> She's the She's kind of rude. She's like, where's my gift, Santa? Right. Come on, you bit. fat Santa. Get up here. <laughs> Don't fat shame Santa. Right. Are you fucking mind? Rude. So, <laughs> that's happening. While Santa's looking up at her, reaching for her, and the mom is looking from the closet window while reaching for the gun. Mm-hmm. 
that was really weird because she actually doesn't get the gun. No. She's grabbing the trying to get the gun. She sees Santa climbing the ladder, freaks out, and then notices that the closet she's locked in the closet. That's when she starts using her shoulder to try to break down the door. Obviously, good, she wants to get upstairs scene. as soon as possible. Yeah, I think it's a good scene because it shows the panic. She's not thinking logically anymore. Everything was logical until this point. Right. Once it became a threat to her daughter. Mm-hmm. So it takes a few tries, but she actually knocks the door off its hinge. She opens the door and she runs upstairs. When she gets upstairs, her daughter's gone and the window is completely open. And so she starts to freak out and yell, Carrie, Carrie, where are you? And this is another favorite line that I have. She hears her daughter say, Mommy, I'm downstairs in the living room. So mm-hmm. she runs downstairs and she sees her daughter, but the front door is open. Right. As the mom is going downstairs to see her daughter, she is holding Santa's hand in the living room. And she said, See, Mommy, I told you Santa would come, and he didn't even have to come down the chimney. I let him in. Her delivery on that, I let him in, was, was like proud. She was very proud of herself. Yeah, like yes. she was so excited and yeah. proud. That's probably the most chilling part of the episode is you have this child wonder of Christmas and uh-huh. Santa mixed with the horrifying revelation that right. she's holding hands with the maniac serial killer. Right. Her innocence has doomed them. Yeah. I never yeah. thought about it that yeah. way. Wow. That's crazy. And so... At this time, it goes back to the wife, her expression on her face, mm-hmm. and she's screaming, no, no, no. And if you'll allow me to do Go right ahead. a reenactment, right. the camera pans over to Santa. He walks towards the wife. Mm-hmm. He grabs his axe, and he says, naughty or nice. Perfect. So good. Right. <laughs> and then it pans back to her as she screams, no, 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 as it fades to black. Right. So I'm going to ask you about this ending. Now, I know what the crypt ki- what the crypt keeper says after this. Right. Right. We're going to ignore that for a moment. Okay. So what happens here, to re- replay it for a moment, Santa takes a step forward, just one step forward. Yes. He looks her in the eyes and says, naughty or nice. Right. Right. Then the mom starts screaming, no, 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 and collapses. Yep. Right. She has been fighting Santa this whole episode. She has had a ton of fights. She's held her own. She has already murdered one person. She has tried to murder Santa twice, if not three times. Do you think that the previous times she fought Santa, she sent him to Dick Hick City, and then she knocked him out with the butt Mm -hmm. of the axe, and then now that he is in between her and her daughter, she, for the first time, is powerless in this episode. Yes, and I think maybe there is an implication that Santa... And I know how the episode ends again, once again. I right. know how, how the, what, the crypt, what the Crypt Keeper says. But I think there's an implication here that he may murder her daughter, or may have murdered her daughter, and that's what she's witnessing. Oh, you're saying more along the lines of like they're like we said before at the beginning of this podcast, they are not showing the horror; they're showing their reaction yes. to the horror. Yes, and that is what the artist who drew the the comic that this was this episode was based on. That's what he would focus on. He would never show the action, or he would ge- generally not show the action. He right. would show people's reaction to what was ever happening. I like that more, to be honest. Yeah, I like your mind is filling in the blanks. Right, and so. Like I said, she's been fighting a whole episode, and now she just stops? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But also, I think, like you mentioned it, something very important is once they fade to black, and in your mind you're thinking, okay, well, is she collapsing and screaming because she's completely powerless? Mm-hmm. 
or is she witnessing her daughter's murder? Right. This is where it gets interesting where I feel that Tales from the Crypt, they get to a certain point of horror, but they have to pull back and they right. have to put an asterisk on things. Mm-hmm. So right when they fade to black, the first thing Cryptkeeper says is, don't worry about Carrie. This Santa preferred older women in pieces. <laughs> so that's telling you, don't worry, the daughter didn't get hurt. Right, and it makes me think they kind of, they're going to walk, they're walking back that implication. You, do you think that maybe they filmed the episode, they knew the ending, the final shot they wanted, mm-hmm. and then in post-production while they were filming maybe the Crypt Keeper scenes, right. they were like, we have to tell the audience nothing happened to the daughter. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I could see absolutely. that. Absolutely. And one of the last things that he says is, be careful what you ask for. And by this time, For Christmas, he's, you may get it. He's pulled off the mask. It's just sitting on the floor. Yes. At this and point, he's, he's like pulled this, off the mask, and it actually is the Crypt Keeper. He's like in this culvert in his his crypt, right? And he's all in shadow. Right. And you just see his face leer out of the shadow, and he's speaking in almost a whisper. This is another thing that we that we talked about. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Um, Like you just said, and I think we mentioned this in the very first podcast, or the first episode that we covered, mm-hmm. The Man Who Was Death, is our idea of the Crypt Keeper is this bombastic, sarcastic, loud, screeching character mm-hmm. that's hilarious. You noticed it first, where you're like, this Crypt Keeper is really somber. Like, he's really more sinister. His he, voice is low. Yes, he's whispering. Right. It's and still it, there. I and mean, he's still making the puns and everything as you The smart-assness is there, but it's not so... <laughs> it's right. more like... Yeah, you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting, you and me were watching some interviews on our research. John Kassir, who is the voice of the Crypt Keeper, mm-hmm. shout out to John Kassir. He mentions in an interview that season one, the budget was lower. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if it was going to be a hit. Right. So the money that was put into the puppetry wasn't that much. So he looked at the puppet and what it could do, and he made his voice fit that. Right. In the future, once the show becomes a success and their budget gets increased, the puppet can do more things. Mm-hmm. And that's when he evolved the voice of the Crypt Keeper to what we know it is right. now. This is the Crypt Keeper you see in this episode is, and throughout this season, is much more sinister. It's I would not want to hang out with this Crypt Keeper. Right. Season it, two and three, let's ride. Right. He's in, in season two and three and whatever, this is a Crypt Keeper. You've come into his house. He's going to tell you a story. This Crypt Keeper from this first season, he has kidnapped you and he's forcing you to listen <laughs> to these stories. I can see that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I do, I love the behind the scenes story where it's not John Kassir's decision. It's him looking at what he can get away with based on the right. budget at the time. And I think that was really smart. That is very smart. Once the f- it's a smart actor move. Absolutely. And once the flip is switched... To where I can be bombastic, I can mm-hmm. do this and that. Mm-hmm. Then he kicks it into high gear, right. and he becomes, which I would say, is one of the most legendary voice acting roles of all time. Yeah, I, I think even if you don't know Tales from the Crypt, you know who the Crypt Keeper is, and you know that voice. You know the laugh, right? And that's the episode. Yeah, that, that's um, it. What is your thought? Not not for not for this episode. We got some more to cover. That is the TV episode. The TV episode. Yeah. <laughs> what are, What are your thoughts? I really like this. Like I said in the beginning, this is excellent. Every bit of this is excellent. It has different levels of of terror. Mm-hmm. You have the physical aspect mm-hmm. with, oh, I'm going to die. I'm, I could be killed. It has the fear for others. Right. Fear for my daughter. Mm-hmm. 
and it has that kind of slimy layer underneath mm-hmm. where there's still questions you don't know. Right. Who's the lover? What's their relationship? Was this planned? You have right. no idea. Right. If this wasn't a spur of the moment thing. Uh, it The ending, no matter how many times I've watched it, it still has that that impact. It never it's loses. It's the importance its of the final shot. Yes. And it's the same thing with Pit and the Pendulum, the movie, and it's with this episode, the final shot, the picture, the or the visual of this actress screaming no at the staircase will will stick with mm-hmm. you. And, and things that end with just screaming really bother me. Because it's not definitive. Right. The horror continues. Right. It right. continues after it fades to black. And in and in some way, is that more unsettling than actually seeing something? Oh, yeah. I mean, that those those movies that end like that, you got like Texas Chainsaw Massacre when Sally is in the pickup truck covered in blood. She's screaming and laughing at the same time. Right. That sticks with me to this day. Uh, there's another movie called Threads that ends in screaming like this. And mm-hmm. uh, Threads is an excellent movie. Do not watch it. It is not safe for life. <laughs> you will walk away more depressed than you have ever been in your entire life. Oh, shit. I did watch another movie okay. where there was uh, screaming, and that was The Witchfinder General. Yes. Which was a Vincent Price movie, mm-hmm. and that ends with a woman screaming. That, that is pure insanity. Everyone in that scene has lost their minds in The Witchfinder General. Another movie that ends like well, not in, in kind of a similar vein, but not exactly, is Midsummer ends with that smile. Right. The ending of Midsummer reminded me of the ending of Old Boy. Okay. Where Old Boy is my favorite movie yeah. of all time. And, and Midsummer is my favorite movie of all yeah, time. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, that's weird. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> so Old Boy, Park Chan Wook's Old Boy, mm-hmm. not the American remake. Right. The main character, I've seen it probably 12 times. Whether or not the main character is laughing or crying is depending on how I feel when I watch the episode. Oh, interesting. It's weird. I've watched it where I'm like, no, it's definitive. He's laughing. Mm-hmm. He's he's excited. Mm-hmm. And then there's times where in my life where I've watched it and I've been like, he's crying. He yeah. knows what's going on. Right. And it, they don't keep the shot long enough for you to decipher it, mm-hmm. which in its way is brilliant. Yes. In my opinion. Yes. Same thing with Midsummer. Yeah. Midsummer, you know, ends with her smiling and it seems like, oh, she's finally free of her troubles. She's not. She's completely broken. And this is only the third day of a seven day festival. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where I it, thought that was the ending of the festival. No, that is not the ending of the festival. That is just the midway point. And they've already murdered all of her friends. She is still in danger and you have no idea what's going to happen to her. I didn't know that. Yeah. I need to watch this movie again. Yeah, you I've do. I've seen it once. I'm like, it was pretty good and stuff. But then you know, you're like, no, it's got this crazy like onion of layers that's within <laughs> it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm sure I'll check it out again. Like, now I'm like, all right, I, my, I think my wife hates that movie at this point because there is not a day I, that goes by that I don't somehow work in Midsummer. Do you make a Midsummer reference once a week at least? I do. I, I had a, uh, uh, like I said, I'm a sociologist in training, you know, so at school I did a whole presentation on Midsummer and propaganda. Indoctrination. <laughs> Are we ready to go to the comic that inspired this? Yeah, episode? let's go to the comic. Should I right. do the synopsis? Go do okay. it. All Through the House in Vault of Horror number 35, story and art by Johnny Craig. On Christmas Eve, an unnamed woman murders her husband with a fire poker to the head, hoping to get the insurance money for his death. While she cleans the crime scene, she hears a radio report that a maniac wearing a Santa costume and responsible for the deaths of several women has escaped a mental asylum. Sure enough, the maniac finds his way to her home. 
The woman frantically tries to secure her home and hide the body of her husband so she can call police. She checks on her sleeping daughter, only to find her missing. Searching the home, she discovers her daughter holding the hand of the murderous, drooling maniac, believing him to be Santa. Dun 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 dun! So this is Vault of Horror number 35 from February 1954. With, with Like I said, the story and art are both by Johnny Craig. Do you know anything about Johnny Craig? I'm not familiar, to be honest. Let me tell you a little bit about Johnny Craig. So he was he was an EC guy, right? Right. Um, I think he did some work for um, the big two, Marvel and DC, but he didn't make much of an impact there, right? All right. of his impact was with EC. He did the first of the few first issues of Iron Man. And mm-hmm. he may have he worked on Brave and the Bold, which was a DC comic, and they said what he turned in for that was not great even for the standards of that comic, which weren't great at the time. Mm-hmm. But he did some excellent, excellent artwork for EC. No, most notably, what he did for EC was that cover that got congressional notice. Oh, it, yeah, the, okay. The, the, uh, the, the crime suspense stories where the, the, the man decapitated is, woman. The decapitated woman where he's holding her head her head and you see her body laying on the ground. Damn it. Right. No, not his fault. Not his fault. He was doing what he he's was doing his job. He was doing his job, right. It's it's Congress's fault for exploiting that to attack comic books. Right. 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 But he was known for this really crisp and clear art style. And like we said in Earlier in the show, when we were talking about the TV episode, what he was really known for is that in his horror comics, he wouldn't show the action. Mm-hmm. He would show what the the people's reaction to what was ever happening, yeah. right? Which I think was a great callback in the episode because you don't see the act coming down in the husband's head. You yeah. see her squeamish reaction. You see his feet kicking up, right? right? You don't see whatever Santa's doing at the end. You see her horrified reaction. And I love that they kept that tone and style for the TV show. This is The more comics that I read from Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror, the more I'm realizing most of these, minus some paint, mm-hmm. are almost perfect TV versions of these stories. Mm-hmm. They modernize some names. Right. And they, the bones are still there. Mm-hmm. Paint is a little different. But the essence of what they were in the 50s is the right. exact same when they uh, make these episodes. It, there was a lot of, well, there's a lot, there's different coats of paint on this one. Yeah. Uh, because the the motivation of the women in this story are different. Yeah. I can and see we'll, that. we'll get into that when we do the breakdown. Speaking of which, <laughs> open up the pit. Let's do this breakdown. <laughs> At the very beginning of this story in the comic, a jolly Santa introduces the story. And like when we talked about before in the TV episode, it's clearly the Crypt Keeper under a mask. Mm-hmm. In the comic, it's just Santa. Right. It just looks like a jolly Santa. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I'm Santa. We're going to have a great Christmas. Here's another horrifying tale. It, he's making the puns like he is a Crypt Keeper type character. Right. And so it opens up and the very first panel is the husband's already dead. He's just he's, laying on the floor. He's just laying on the floor mm-hmm. dead. And same thing, killed with a f- fire poker. And it says in the narration that the wife spent months of planning and it culminated with a swift blow with a fire poker. Mm-hmm. And it also says that she killed him for his insurance money. Right. She's very cold and calculating in this where the wife, in whose name may have been Elizabeth, in the TV show, she was very emotional. 
Right. Yes. Right. Yes. There is some indication in the TV show that that it was a spur of the moment thing. That there was no planning involved. Crime of passion. Crime of passion. Other than her going to push his body down the well. In this, it does say that she had planned this killing for months because mm-hmm. they knew they'd be at this house in the middle of nowhere, no neighbors to hear. And she still went through the motions of being a devoted wife. She said, she says at one point, I wish you could have seen the presents I got for you for Christmas. That's fucked up. Right, right. So she still went through everything, still buying him presents. And I, he also with the husband in this one, he didn't do anything. There's no indication that he just, he had this coming. He didn't have any, he had no lines because he was already dead. Right. And she even says, you were a mouse of a man. Damn. That's his greatest sin is that he wasn't assertive enough for her. Damn. <laughs> That's hardcore. At the same time that she is about to get rid of the body, uh, Carol, her daughter, wakes up. Mm-hmm. Now in the TV show, they named her Carrie. In this, it was Carol. Carol. Probably Which, just modernizing the name. And, and, and I guess Carrie can be a nickname for Carol, right? Yeah. I guess. And so she basically puts her back to sleep. And as she's going downstairs to go back to the body, she turns on the radio. Jingle Bells is playing as she's putting the poker away. And she and it even says that she fondles the poker when she puts it back right. next to the fireplace. As the clock hit 11, she goes to turn the radio off to dispose and get ready to dispose of Joseph when a special news bulletin hits. A mental asylum escapee has killed four women and is on the loose. This is a huge info dump, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is where this you're is, getting all of your stories. This is three panels of a uh, five-page story, was it? Is yeah, a, of a radio uh, no, broadcast. No, wait, this is, a, this is the seven-page story. So in every episode, or every episode, every issue of the comic, they'd have stories that were uh, four to five pages, and then they would have the cover story, which was about seven to eight pages. Okay. And this was the cover story for this issue. Oh, great. Right. So three panels of this seven-page story that a very there's a very limited space is just devoted to this radio broadcast. Yes. And they are being very specific in this radio broadcast. They're like, he won't hurt kids. Right. He'll only hurt men if they get in his way. It says that he will won't kill children and he will only injure men if provoked. He has stolen a Santa costume and he has attacked and disfigured four women. His passion is killing women. Killing I think is the women. quote. And so this is also where in the TV episode, at, at the very end of the episode, is when the crew keeper says, or the t- the show tells you mm-hmm. the daughter's safe. Right. And this, it's right in it, the It's beginning. reinforcing the idea that this kid is not in any danger whatsoever. Right, right. They reinforce this a couple of times in the story, that this child is going to be okay. Yes. Right. So even then, even these graphic comics, these yeah. notorious comics, were pulling their punches a bit. Oh, yeah, you yeah. have to. For sure. I mean, it was 1950 to 55. Right. So she narrates herself basically saying that she figures that Carol is safe from the killer and that she can risk leaving so she can try to get rid of Joseph's body. Mm-hmm. Then there's a knock on the front door. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And here's what you were mentioning about the artists sh- not showing, showing the reaction of mm-hmm. things, where she goes to the front door, she peeks through a window, and we see her face and mm-hmm. is horrified. Because it, it, she says, oh, no, it's him, it's him, it's the killer. And those reaction panels of her are gorgeous. So good. So, so good. So detailed, so clean, so colorful. Right. And so she starts to freak out. She go, She locks the door, and then she hears a uh, wrestling of the Santa walking around behind the house mm-hmm. to check the front door. Right. So she runs to the back. I'm sorry, the back door. She runs to the back door. She locks it. 
as she hears that he's knocking on the back door. Right. Then he goes around the house again to get to the windows, and she can hear that he's near the windows, and she goes and she locks all the windows. Yeah. So what was very interesting about this to me, have you ever heard of Richard Chase? No. He was a serial killer known as the Sacramento Vampire. Mm-hmm. And they asked him one time why he killed a particular victim. Yeah. And all he said was, their door was unlocked. This killer, Damn. he's not trying to break in. The he's one just, in the TV episode is. Absolutely. He throws the, the tire through the window. Right. right. This this killer is just seeing if anything is open. Right. Right. He is He's not very uh, assertive in trying to get at her. It's a more terrifying Santa, really. Yes. And so as she's locking all the windows and the doors and stuff, mm-hmm. she goes back to Joseph's body and she goes, okay, well, I should be able to get rid of this body. And at this point... She goes back and forth between checking the locks and trying to pull his body further through the living room to, disp- to right. put it in a closet. She realizes she can't call the cops because they know he, the killer will not harm men. Yes, based right. on the radio broadcast. Based on the radio report. So thank you, radio, for making that clear <laughs> for us. And that, that seems to me, too, like they needed to add that in so no one could come back later on who read the story and be like, well, why didn't, why didn't she just call the cops? Right. Well, why she didn't call the cops? Um, but I love this section because it, it speaks to a franticness. She is panicked. And right. she can't focus on one task. So she's just running back and forth. Check the locks. Okay, we'll have to d- dispose of Joseph's body before right. the cops, before I can call the cops. Well, she starts to do that, pulls a, pulls a, a, a tiny bit of weight. She's like, no, no, I got to check the locks again. I got to check on Carol. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. That was great for me. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I really liked about this scene is that she actually goes down into the basement <laughs> thinking, oh, I'll grab some boards. And she actually thanks Joseph. Right. For hoarding lumber yes, in the basement. He collected lumber. For, everybody's got a thing. <laughs> right. I collect hot wheels now. Right. right? right. <laughs> he collects lumber. So she thanks him, his dead corpse, for the wood. She brings up two by fours to barricade the windows. Mm-hmm. And she's just frantically going back and forth and back and forth between the locks and the body. Right. As she's boarding, she hears the back door pounding. She almost calls the cops, but then she remembers again, once again, right. Joseph's in the middle of the living room. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you going to do? Right. And this is, it, they have this several times in, in this story, this panel of her with kind of like images of cops over her head. That's a, probably my favorite panel right. in the or, or piece of art where mm-hmm. she's, whenever she's thinking the dark thoughts of what will happen to me if I get caught, it's really dark ink that they use mm-hmm. and they show like blue heads over her own head of cops looking at right. her yeah so you can see the tension that's in her head mm-hmm. and the fear that she mm-hmm. has for getting caught. and her fear here i don't think is necessarily the killer her fear is she's gonna get caught yes yeah you absolutely and so she finally gathers enough mental awareness that mm-hmm. she starts to board up the windows right she boards up the windows and she moves on to the second floor mm-hmm. at this point she opens her daughter's bedroom and her daughter's gone which is kind of weird because it took her quite a while to check on her daughter. <laughs> right. But because of the radio broadcast, she the idea of her daughter being in danger wasn't a reality to mm-hmm. her. And she opens the door. Daughter's gone. Mm-hmm. And then she yells for her. And same as in the TV episode, the daughter yells for mommy that she's in the living room. Walks downstairs and she's holding Santa's hand in the living room. And she said, mommy, I let him in. 
And the same thing as in the TV episode where the back, the front door is hanging open. Is hanging open in the background. It is shot for shot the same thing. The panel so good. and the show match perfectly. Right. And one thing I would uh, would like to do is anything that we notice that's like a direct shot or right. anything that we want to point attention to, mm-hmm. we are actually going to post on our Instagram and Twitter page. And our Twitter page right. at Crypt Keepers Pod. To Good where plug. when you listen to this, go right up to it, and you'll see a sh- the shot for shot, shot for shot mirroring yeah. of the comic and the episode, and it was brilliant. Now we finally see the killer. We finally see the killer. Finally, full on, the, right? he's only in one shot. He, yeah, he's not the same. He's not like Larry Drake's killer. This dude's hunched over, drooling, drooling. Which speak like he has some sort of like animal intelligence because he wasn't trying to break in. He was just trying to find the most easy route in. He was calm rational about it but he's still drooling at the and same he doesn't time. say anything doesn't say anything he has no weapon i didn't notice that yeah so how is he killing these people how is he disfiguring them with his bare hands right with his bare hands his teeth whatever right right which is creepier i think than just the normal axe right. killer because this, this is someone who's going to be very animalistic yes right yes for sure very feral and so that is the end of the story in which it goes back to Santa, but at this point, it's just a one-panel shot of the Vault Keeper right. peeling off the mask, the Santa mask, because it is him. Mm-hmm. He's like, ha ha ha, you thought it was Santa Claus, you idiots? <laughs> the tone he uses in that panel is very condescending. Right, and the weird, not weirdest, but the craziest thing about it is that the Vault Keeper says, he's holding the sack, like mm-hmm. Santa's sack, and he says... I guess you're wondering what's in Santa's sack. It's what's left of Carol's mommy. Oh, what no. the fuck? Right. It's, it, he reassures you here again that Carol's in no danger. Right. Right. Except for, you know, from watching her mom get murdered, right, and torn to pieces by, you know, someone with a drooling Santa Claus. Right. And he says, he has this line, and I loved it. He was like, don't worry, this Santa loved to slay bells. Uh. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the issue? I love this. And, you know, before I even read this, I would see that final shot of different places around on the internet long before I ever read this. Right. It's right. pretty iconic. Yeah, it's, it's pretty iconic shot. And I don't think before I read this, however long ago I read it, I don't, I don't know if I ever knew that was from, quote unquote, Tales from the Crypt. Right. Right. It was just this iconic shot that's been around for ages. I thought I thought this was perfect. It'll, you know, whatever problems uh, Johnny Craig had with the big two, right. his writing and art is on point. It makes me want to see other things that he's done. I'm sure we will. Yeah, he's I'm sure. Pretty prolific in mm-hmm. EC about the idea of showing the reaction to horror instead of horror itself, right. which actually, in a way, is less work. Yes. Less detailed work because mm-hmm. you don't have to draw like blood or axes or anything mm-hmm. like that. You just show facial expressions. Right. In which a good reactionary facial expression can be just as terrifying mm-hmm. as anything bloody. Right. And it, it, it can create the illusion that things are more bloody. Right. Like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. There's hardly any gore in that whatsoever. It's just mostly reactions. Mostly reactions, mostly implied. But it has this reputation for being this super grisly and gory movie to where it was banned off TV for about 20 years. Yeah. I love the issue. I thought Mm -hmm. it was really good. I thought that at first, when I first read it, the scene in which she goes back and forth between Joseph's body Mm -hmm. and trying to lock the windows and stuff was them stretching. Okay. But after talking to you, where you're like, no, it's showing... The frantic mindset that she's in. Mm-hmm. 
I see that now. Right. And I thought that was really good. But for the second story in a row, I'm giving the nod to the episode. Okay. These are neck and neck for me. Like, I could not tell you which is the best. I love them both equally. Right. Mary Ellen Trainer just does an amazing job. Mm -hmm. And I... I know they're even for you, but I'm going to give the nod to the TV episode just because I love that saltiness. Oh, yeah. Of that, like, psychotic woman wanting revenge okay. for something. Yeah. Like, she's doing it out of passion mm-hmm. instead of it appears that the wife in the. There's a lot of pent up emotion for the, the, the wife in the TV show right. that is being released in this moment. Right. So I like that slightly more, but I think both are A's. So, A's here for uh, who me. do you think. Who do you think society will judge as the worst of the two? The mother from the TV show, the wife and mother from the TV show, or the wife from the comic? I don't know, because based, I mean, from what you were saying and what we discussed in this podcast, the mom from the TV episode did it out of a crime of passion. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be with her lover. Right. Whether they were actually together or not. Right. She did it in her head because she wanted to be with someone else. The one in the issue did it strictly for money. I've said before numerous times, I'm a sociologist in training, so this kind of stuff interests me a lot. There are uh, sentencing disparities between men and women who commit the same crime under the same circumstances. Men typically get uh, a 63% longer sentence than women who commit the same crimes. Men are twice as likely to go to prison for a crime than a woman is. Committing the same crime. Right. Women are more likely to be, be released pre-trial. There are exceptions to this, and very weird exceptions. One of them is theft. For some reason, women will go to prison longer and are more likely to go to prison for theft than men are. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Now that I've said that, when a man kills an intimate partner, how long do you think they go to prison for? I don't know. On average, they go to prison for two to six years. For murdering an intimate partner who is female. Damn. How long do you think a woman goes to prison for for murdering an intimate partner who is male? 15 years on average. Whoa. I'm going to throw two names at you. Okay. Okay. Darlie Rudier and Susan Smith. Have you ever heard of them? No. Okay. So Susan Smith, and this is relevant to this episode, what we're talking about here, right. these, these differences between these two women, and they're evident in these two cases. Susan Smith in uh, around 1995. She drove her two sons into a lake in their minivan. She escaped and then blamed a black man for hijacking their car and murdering her kids. Her story fell apart very quickly. Right. About a week it took for them to figure out that, no, she actually murdered her kids. She goes on trial, and prosecutors say that she was looking to kill her kids because she wanted to be with a former lover, a former boyfriend. And the kids were in the way. And Her her kids were in the way of this, right? Much like Joseph was in the way of... The wife from the TV show getting back with getting back with her ex lover. Now, they also said that she was very emotionally disturbed. Obviously, she killed her kids, but they never quite judged her as a mother, despite killing her kids. Hmm. Okay, Darlie Rudier, on the other hand, she murdered two of her kids, stabbed them to death. Claimed someone broke into her home, attacked her and two of her kids. While her husband and one other kid were upstairs sleeping. And what year was this? This was 97. So, so very similar. only two years apart. They're only two years apart. Yeah, very similar. Okay. Uh, very similar time frames. In the case of Darlie Rudier, they said what she was doing it was for insurance money. 
Oh. Her and her husband were losing money. They were on the verge of losing this lavish lifestyle that they had. So she killed her two kids to get money. And during her trial, they were like, she's aloof. She was uncaring. Again, she murdered her kids. But they cast her as a bad mother. Hmm. Right. Out of the two of them, Susan Smith got life in prison with the possibility of parole in three years from when we were speaking. The one now. who drowned her children. The one who drowned her children. She could get out of prison in 2024. Oh, shit. Possibly. How long do you think Rie got? Or what kind of sentence do you think Rie got? Well, I would like to say the same, but the same crime. But She got the death penalty. Oh, shit. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier with women getting a, 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 a much lengthier sentence when they kill an intimate partner. They, When sociologists and criminologists look at this, they think it's because the women in the that murder their intimate partners, or in the case of Darlie Rudier, the reason they got much more severe penalties was because they did not conform to gender stereotypes. Oh, okay. Because wow. it's men who commit these crimes, right? It's men who kill their so lovers. It's, it's, it's like a crime of passion versus a crime of greed? Greed or coldness. In the case of Susan Smith, she was still a good mother, even though she killed her kids, right? right? She conformed that stereotype, that gender role that we want in society. She was doing it out of passion, out of love. Right. Darlie Rudy, on the other hand, was an aloof mother who did not care about her kids. More cold. She was cold. She did not conform to that stereotype of a woman who's emotional. Oh, wow. Right? Much like in the case of women who murder their intimate partners, it's men who do that, not women. So, in, in fact, we are kind of punishing women for breaking that stereotype. Stereotype, Right. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. It's messed up, isn't it? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that this was a great story. Uh, it was wonderful to explore it a third time with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, as much as I love this, oh gosh, we have to explore it again sometime. We do have we to. We do. Yeah, because there is a Tales from the Crypt movie from 1972, and it's an anthology film, and this is one of the stories in that anthology. So we will cover this sometime, probably around Christmas. So this is one of the rare stories that is in comic form, mm -hmm. film form, right. and TV form. That is a direct adaptation. I'm excited. Yeah. I've never seen that original I, I've movie. never seen that Was either. Was it 1978? 1972. Uh, Peter Cushing is in it, you know, being a Hammer hey, Horror fan. Yeah, you know, I love I'm Hammer Horror. I don't think, uh, I think he's one of the victims in one of the stories. I don't what? think he's a Crypt Keeper. I'm excited. So, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. What do you I think? I think it does, yeah, yeah. it's great. So next time we'll be covering Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone, based on a story from Haunt of Fear number 21. If you'd like to leave a comment or a question or yell at us or say we made a mistake or anything like that, you can email the show at cryptkeepersshow at gmail.com. And we have social media. We do. We I set up the social media recently. We are on Twitter and Instagram at cryptkeeperspod. You can also check me out on Twitter as Horror Ryan. And where can they find you, Bruce? They can find me at Mr. Spooky Bruce on Twitter. MR Spooky Bruce right, on Twitter. Right on. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on the podcast service of your choice. Share with a friend. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon, kitties. <laughs> Naughty or not.